The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, My name is Eli. I'm Diana. My beautiful wife, Diana. Here she is. I mean, my, uh, no, you know what? My grotesque wife, Diana. Whoa. I don't know what Hideous. that's for. No, it's fair because I'm trying to keep the suitors away. Oh. I don't want them to know that you're gorgeous. Uh, so I'm trying to scare them off. You're the one who wanted to start filming this. <laughs> oh, shit. Now they can see. Damn. Uh, I'll just blur your face out. Oh, okay. Or right. I'll put like a little troll gif over you oh I'll put a troll gift the whole time yeah i did love troll dolls growing up i oh, still I have a bunch <laughs> at my mom's house i wasn't thinking like the cute trolls i was thinking like the trolls from willow oh man <laughs> but that way uh no um no fellas out there or or no even industrious ladies who might really put their minds to it none of them are going to steal you away well i don't love that but all right you don't love that i don't want you stolen away i don't love having my face covered up with a troll well but it's for a romantic <laughs> purpose is it? Yeah. Mm. I want you all to myself. So I'm going to lock you in a room, never let anyone see your face, and uh, then you'll be mine forever. That's that. Come on. That's any fairy tale prince would basically do that. <laughs> yeah. And they're so problematic. <laughs> Have you ever? <laughs> okay. Look, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, or welcome to the show, new right. listeners. Because the ridiculous romantic cult is growing Gotta be. every week. There's something I got to talk about, Diana. Yes. You know what it is. I do. Oh, my God. Y'all, we won't. Okay. I usually try to keep this down to like five minutes of banter or less before we get to the show. So (laughs) we saw RRR in theaters. RRR. Freaking R. Oh, my God. I don't know. I can't. (sighs) 
I'm telling you, when I tell you I haven't been just ear to ear grinning for three straight hours <laughs> since I was a child, I can't believe this movie. It was so, like, it was dumb how good it was. I don't get it. I don't get it. And we also, we were very fortunate because we got to see it at the Plaza Theater. It's like a historic theater in Atlanta. So cool. One of the coolest places. And the room, it was very full screening. Yeah. And everybody was just hooting and hollering and having a blast. Oh it was just so much fun. So if you get a chance to see it in a theater, I highly recommend. I had told someone it made me feel really good about humanity in this way. Not just the movie itself, which did in a, in a really great way, but just the experience of seeing it with a crowd of people and being like, oh, man. I really love it when a bunch of people are all just having a good time and we're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is why we're here, right? To like have fun and laugh and be excited. Uh, that's the best thing about groups of people. Yeah. And yeah. I'm so used to like, let's say driving, which makes you very angry about being in groups of people <laughs> or the grocery store, things like that, where I'm like, oh, I just want to go live in the woods. Mm -hmm kill them all and then at the end of this movie i was like man i'm so glad that i was with all these other people watching this yeah that was that's very true again yeah. i really feel like seeing it in the theater with everybody willing to like hoot and holler yeah. and react yeah. was just just a beautiful cherry on top yeah and if you're like me like i can't stand people talking and making noise and stuff during movies but mm -hmm. there's times where it's like joyful and that's what this was it, yeah. it, you needed it and it it added so much and it wasn't like oh you're interrupting or i can't hear what's going on bonus that the movie is mostly not in english so it's all subtitled right. for the most part i was about to say like you so you weren't gonna miss any dialogue yeah people could scream and you're like i still know what's happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have not missed anything that I read did it. help go see it however you can just see it incredible soon. incredible so that's gonna be our banter for the day because <laughs> we got to awesome story to get oh, to today. Oh, such a good story Super excited today. about this one. Yeah, because today we want to talk to you about John Wilmot, the second Earl of Rochester. Oh. And you might remember his name if you cast your memory back and you had listened to our episode about the brief history of sex toys yeah. that we did with Ridiculous History. We invited them to Poetry Corner to right. read some of Wilmot's poem, Signor Dildo, <laughs> where he was talking about the new sex toy out of Italy. I think we really tickled Ben and Noel with that one. I think so, too. They were excited to read a yes. stanza <laughs> of Signor Dildo. But as fan of the show and mother of the host, Barbara Banks said, this guy deserves his own episode because he had like a bunch of affairs. He abducted an heiress. Uh, he disguised himself as a gynecologist. What? And he wrote some of the dirtiest poetry of the Restoration Era. Not just Signor Dildo, but other things. Right. So let's hear about the body poet and the sharpest wit in King Charles's court, John Wilmot, the second Earl of Rochester. Yes, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So John Wilmot was born on April Fool's Day in 1647 to <laughs> Henry Wilmot. 
It's a perfect day for him to be born. I already He's something feel, I, of a fool. <laughs> you've set yourself up for exactly. a wacky life He's if like, you're born I'm, on April 1st. I'm ready to be the king's jester yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, he was born to Henry Wilmot, who had been created the Earl of Rochester. Ooh. Because he pretty much single-handedly helped Charles II escape to the continent after Oliver Cromwell and his cronies executed Charles I, made England into a republic, and Cromwell started ruling as the Lord Protectorate. Great. Uh, Okay, so people get mad at the king, chop his head off, and his son, Charles II, I Mm -hmm. assume, was like, somebody get me out of here. Yeah. It was after the Battle of Worcester. Hmm. Which I think that's how you say it. It's spelled Worcester, but I think it's pronounced Worcester, I, in isn't Boston. It? It's Worcester. I don't know if it's I don't Worcester know if they do that in England or not. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> they might in England. They might say Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Well, anyway, so he basically helped him escape and and survive in exile. Okay. This is known as the interregnum period of English history, and Cromwell and his government were Puritans, and they basically thought people should not have any fun whatsoever. Mm. So they outlawed theater, partying. Music and literally Christmas. What? Like they canceled Christmas. <laughs> I'm sorry. So there was really a war on Christmas in England? Legit war on Christmas. Wow. Like it was illegal to be found buying food associated with the Christmas feast. <laughs> How do you even? I guess a, a boiled goose. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I don't know. But if you were walking out the grocery store with a oh roast goose, God. they would clap you in irons, I guess. They even had cops patrolling the streets. Busting people for singing carols. Wow. I mean, it's a pretty joyless 11 years. Well, thanks in part to Henry Wilmot, Charles II was able to stay alive. Uh, He was crowned the King of Scotland and Ireland after Cromwell's death. And then he came on home and restored the monarchy, for better or worse, which is why his reign is known as the Restoration Period. Oh, okay. So Charles II obviously had a lot of reason to be Pretty grateful to old Henry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, very much. Uh, well, I, I suppose I owe you a favor, sir. <laughs> Definitely saved my life and put me back on the throne and I can get back to having Christmas parties again. <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> so after Henry died in 1658, the king showed his appreciation by taking an interest in his son, John. Mm-hmm. So John was privately tutored from the age of seven, and when he was 12, he attended Wadham College, Oxford, which was pretty newly established. This college wasn't really, like, that respected yet, and so it was kind of a party school. Hey! No one looking around saying, No, you have to respect the history Mm -hmm. of Wadham College at Oxford. They're like, No, we don't, but this place (laughs) is brand new. Let's fuck it up! What history? Let's make some right now! (laughs) I don't know why they sound like that. Oh, they bust out <laughs> their electric guitars. Still going on. Oh, no. It's, it's the Rolling Stones. So little John Wilmot's tutor was this guy, Robert Whitehall. And this guy was a hard drinker, but he was uh, uh, quite the wit of his mm-hmm. day. Snippy and sarcastic and literary, mm-hmm. quick-minded. And under this guy's influence, John, quote, grew debauched. <gasps> so... Robert Whitehall is out there teaching him, you know, oh, I'm not just going to teach you how to write beautifully and and learn your, your scholarly duties, but we're going to learn how to drink and gamble <laughs> and womanize all the hits. Oh. Learn to have a little fun. Yeah, I want you to be not just book smart, but street smart. Right, and not just street smart, 
but lady Sheet smart. smart. <laughs> cheek smart. Well, yeah. Sheet smart. Sheet smart. <laughs> but you said cheek smart. No, sheet. Which is also pretty smart. If you're smart around a pair of cheeks, you can you can go far in this world. I guess that's true. I didn't think about it like that, but all right. <laughs> When John was 14, he was given an honorary master's, and Charles II awarded him a 500 pound per year pension to live on. He also had John sent on the Grand Tour of Europe, which is this three-year trip through France and Italy. You know, all of Europe. You know. Well, when John got home in 1664, he joined Charles's restoration court at only 17 years old. Mm. He made his bows, oddly enough, on Christmas Day. Oh. Which, of course, had been fully restored at this point, because, of course, oh, yeah. Charles II came in and was like, oh, we're bringing back Christmas, everyone. I love a party. <laughs> Grab your turkeys. Deck the halls. <laughs> uh, you know, light up the lights. Candles? Feed the reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> Feed the reindeer. Okay, well, Wilmot may have been an earl, but his family didn't really have that much money besides mm. this pension from the king. So ah. Sort of an impoverished title. So Charles II suggested that he marry a wealthy heiress named Elizabeth Mallet. Oh. Because then he'd have money and Elizabeth would be a countess. Everybody wins. Oh, okay. And she was into it. She wrote, quote, He was handsome, tall, graceful, well-shaped. His complexion was fair of a rosy hue, and his good breeding and wit were striking. <laughs> he was far too attractive for a flirtatious 15-year-old to reject out of hand. <laughs> wow. Moreover, he could write the sort of fashionable, amorous, pastoral poetry that delighted my girlish heart. Fashionable, amorous, and pastoral poetry. I'm going to hang on to that description for yeah, later. Yeah, keep that one. <laughs> keep that one for yourself. But Elizabeth's family was less enthused because they wanted Elizabeth to marry somebody rich. Ah. They want to add to the coffers. Titles alt everything, my okay. dear. Okay, they were like, there's a title out there that also has money. Right, yeah. Get that guy <laughs> uh, instead of this poor poet dude or whatever. But did our 17-year-old hottie give up? Mm. Absolutely not. Instead, John Wilmot did the late 1600s version of Lloyd Dobler holding the boombox over his head. Huh? He abducted her. Oh, <laughs> it's not. I, I don't. I remember say anything differently. <laughs> um, weirdly, apparently, he hatched this plot with his mother. Wow. So she was like, "Go get this rich bitch right now. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to snatch her up." But. You know, John, he did it with style. True. Samuel Pepys, who is best known for keeping a diary for 10 years that uh, surely historians are probably constantly thanking their lucky stars for. <laughs> yes. He <laughs> described the scandal in his journal saying, quote, Thence to my lady sandwiches, where I told her a story of my Lord Rochester's running away on Friday night last with Miss Mallet, the great beauty and fortune of the North who had supped at Whitehall with Mrs. Stewart and was going home to her lodgings with her grandfather, my Lord Haley, by coach, and was at Charing Cross, seized on by both horse and footman, and forcibly taken from him, <gasps> and put into a coach with six horses, and two women provided to receive her, and carried away. Now... What an abduction. Amazing. I He straight up... Stole her from her grandfather's carriage and uh -huh. stuffed her into another one. With six horses. Okay, He's like, well, we're getting the hell out. Okay, he wanted to go fast as hell. Yeah. And so I really wanted to point this out because uh, in some of my favorite Georgette Heyer books, they talk about guys trying to elope with a co like a coach and pair. 
And oh, everyone's no. like, oh, what a shabby affair. <laughs> like, at least get four a horses, couch you idiot. Pear. I know. They're That's like so surfed. disappointed. I know. They're like, what is that? What are you poor? It's like rolling up and up, you know, a 1996 Honda Civic. <laughs> Being like, I'm stealing you away, my dear. Hey, baby, get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But also, please note, he had two women there to receive her. So he okay. wasn't trying to ruin her reputation right, and right. force her into marriage. She was going to be respectably chaperoned well, the entire good. time. So it's still a very scandalous <laughs> behavior, but he still did have like he was thinking <laughs> about her comfort. <laughs> and it wasn't I mean, she did respond to his affections, right? Oh, I mean, she, she cared him. a lot about him. Yeah. I don't think she liked this, but she yeah. liked him. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be sure. kind of exciting if your true love comes and rescues, rescues you from, you know, marrying someone you're not ex- as excited about. Right. I thought I thought she might be, have been a little like, ooh, he really like. <laughs> yeah. I love also he rolls up with with six horses like who's poor now? I know. Right. He really spending that 500 pounds uh-huh. a year on some stuff. <laughs> it was the, <laughs> it was my whole pension. He's like, uh, I, but I, that's how much you mean to me, girl. Uh-huh. Well, after this kidnapping, John was pretty much immediately caught. <laughs> now, Elizabeth went back home to her family. The king was super pissed. He's like, my buddy, my guy, I, mm-hmm. I'm giving you this money. I'm setting you up. You can't go kidnapping rich girls. <laughs> you look crazy. Uh-huh. Now I look dumb for vouching for you. So Lord Rochester was sent to the Tower of London for three weeks to think about what he'd done. Mm-hmm. He wasn't released until he wrote a penitent apology to the king. Although we got to say, it feels like feels like maybe Lord Holly uh-huh. might have been like thinking like, oh, uh, uh, do I get an apology? <laughs> Kind of stole my granddaughter right out of my own carriage. I was sitting right there. (laughs) Kids these days. But Rochester wanted to redeem himself. So he volunteered for the Navy in the Second Dutch War in the winter of 1665. And his courageous actions made him a war hero. Yeah, he probably did a pretty good job stealing supplies from enemy lines, (laughs) I imagine, right? Oh, my specialty. (laughs) Get me six horses (laughs) and 24 hours. You'll have all the cannons. (laughs) Doted on by two handmaidens, no less. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, this this war had a really important effect on his personality because one of his friends was like standing right next to Rochester when he got blown away by a cannonball. Oh, no. And Rochester had to keep on fighting, basically covered in his friend's remains. Oh, God. Very crazy, just, you know, wartime trauma. Yeah. And it's around then that he kind of became an atheist and pretty nihilistic sure. and sort of scared sort of became the skeptic that we'll see in his poetry later on. And yeah, I mean, it's no wonder. <laughs> yeah. I think you you fight a war and you start to ask, like, why? Yeah. A, a lot. <laughs> why a lot? Yes. Why a lot? Um, but his heroism in battle did make Charles so pleased with Rochester that he appointed him a gentleman of the bedchamber in 1666, Ooh. which sounds sexy. I know, right? Um, I've but... been called a gentleman of the bedchamber myself a few times. <laughs> called you that no this was less sexy than it sounds it uh, basically entitled john to some nice lodgings and a thousand pounds a year in exchange for one week out of the month where he would help the king dress and undress he would serve him meals and he would sleep at the foot of his bed and this was like a really big honor to be a gentleman of the bedchamber wow which kind of makes sense because you're really close to the king he, tr- he clearly trusts you a lot <laughs> i'm sure there's like a little bed down there but right. I, of course, I see him sleeping at the He's foot of the like king's bed like up. a like a like a Doberman, you know. 
He's got a little water dish on the floor and a bone. <laughs> now, later that same year, Rochester returned to the Navy and he again distinguished himself by delivering messages. That Ooh. sounds kind of boring, but it was not. Oh. Because before radio and walkie-talkies and stuff, a real guy just had to, like, run around a battlefield oh, or, in no. this case, row between ships and a fleet ah. under fire to relay orders from the captain or the general or commander or whoever was in charge. Sure. So you had to be very quick. You had to be bold. You had to be incredibly brave. So Rochester was even more of a legend when he came home. Yeah. I mean, you're probably targeting that guy. Easily. Because he's uh, got all the orders. Exactly. They're like, they'll be scattered and confused. So it's, you know, very, very crazy job. (laughs) Just a crazy job. Ooh, hard pass. Now, John distinguished himself enough that King Charles II gave him a special license to enter the House of Lords early, even though he was seven months underage. So everything was coming up, Wilmot. Mm -hmm. Even Elizabeth Mallet decided to forgive him for, you know, kidnapping her from her (laughs) grandfather. And she ended up eloping with him again by choice this time. Mm -hmm. She actually wanted to. And in this, she defied her family. She married him in secret in January of 1667. And they ended up having four children together. And it seems like John Wilmot really did love her. One of his poems is dedicated to her. So... Let's go down to Poetry Corner and hear To My More Than Meritorious Wife by John Wilmot. I am by fate slave to your will, and I will be obedient still. To show my love I will compose ye, for your fair fingers ring a posy, in which shall be expressed my duty, and how I'll be forever true to ye. With low-made legs and sugared speeches, Yielding to your fair bum the breeches, and shoe myself and all I can, your very humble servant, Jan. Wow. I gotta say, I really respect that big stretch in there, <laughs> rhyming duty with <laughs> to true to ye. <laughs> I love it. True to ye. Clever. And then I he's love like, that. I know my name's John, but we're just gonna say Jan. We're just gonna go with Jan. Just to get the rhyme in. <laughs> I'm hey, good with this. that's what poets do. They manipulate <laughs> language right. until it fits. No biggie. Look, and here's the thing, y'all. John Wilmot didn't really yield to her fair bum the breeches. Not really. <laughs> because he had tons of flings with both men and women throughout his life. We're going to get into that right after this break. Welcome back. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, 
Every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Everybody? Yeah, so John Wilmot, Earl of Rochester, is doing pretty good at this point in his life. He's around 20 years old. He's making moves in Parliament. He's married to this hot, rich lady. Sure. Um, He's a favorite of Charles II. Not bad. And he's hanging out with the Merry Gang, which was like a bunch of dudes who were a lot like John in that they were tight with the king. Okay. And they like to get drunk, have sex, get rowdy, and write ribald rhymes and satires. Hell yeah, I'd be a merry gang too. I know, it sounds like a pretty fun life. Yeah. Uh, these guys partied so hard that John Wilmot himself told his friend, the historian Gilbert Burnett, that, quote, for five years together, he was continually drunk and not perfectly master of himself, <laughs> which led him to do many wild and unaccountable things. Uh, Rochester, <laughs> I love not perfectly master of myself. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's such a great way to put Most it. exactly fully in control of the things I was doing. <laughs> I was telling myself to stop and I wouldn't. <laughs> now, Rochester described this life in another one of his poems, probably one of my favorites. So let's head on down to Poetry Corner once more and hear Régime de Vivre. I rise at eleven. I dine about two. I get drunk before seven, and the next thing I do, I send for my whore. When, for fear of a clap, I spend in her hand, and I spew in her lap. (laughs) Then we quarrel and scold till I fall fast asleep. When the bitch growing bold to my pocket does creep, then slyly she leaves me, and to revenge the affront, at once she bereaves me of money and cunt. (laughs) If by chance then I wake, hot-headed and drunk, what a coil do I make for the loss of my punk? I storm and I roar and I fall in a rage, and missing my whore, I bugger my page. Then crop sick all morning, I rail at my men, and in bed I lie yawning till eleven again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, that poem is hilarious. My favorite poem. (laughs) He's straight up like, I got this mistress, and she rolled me for my dough and dipped out. Yikes! Spend in her hand, and I spew in her lap. This poor girl. She should steal. No wonder she stole his money and ran. She's like, what? What am I? Would you? I'm here for free. You know I'm not. <laughs> oh my god! And then he, he yells at his friends all night, I falls know, asleep, right? and then wakes up and it starts all over again. Seriously, <laughs> it's so good. Oh man! Oh, the life. You the, know what? A, what a Honestly, life. Honestly, the indeed. life. And King, and I love that at the end of it, King Charles is paying for all this. Right? He's like, thanks, bro, <laughs> for financing my lifestyle. The list sounds so great. 
I love it too because you can tell he sounds a little bored by it even. Right. Like he's like, it's still kind of like just the same shit every day. This again, the old routine. Yeah. All right. Now, King Charles II is known as the Playboy King. Oh, okay. Um, he had like something like 14 mistresses. He had a bunch of illegitimate children running mm -hmm. around. He definitely set the tone for this court. Right. There's a reason that he liked men like the Earl of Rochester. It starts at the top. Exactly. And like one of the first things that he did when he was restored to the monarchy in 1660 was to allow a lot of the stuff that Cromwell and the Puritans had banned, like Christmas. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, but also theater. Mm. And this time, Charles legalized acting as a profession for women, uh, which is so funny because we were just talking about that in our William Dorsey Swan yeah. episode. Uh, I didn't know King Charles II was the one who did that, but that was cool to find he out. He was probably sleeping with some girl who was like, hey, buddy, can I get on stage, please? I kind of wondered if it was like, because so many aristocrats ended up finding their mistresses through opera and theater. Oh, yeah. I was like, I wonder if King Charles was like, man, you know, if these orange cellar girls could be on stage, it'd be a lot easier to see how pretty they are. <laughs> <laughs> and I could meet them later. So he's just trying to increase his own, like... I'm choice i don't know he's like let me widen the net <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but nell gwynn was one of his favorite mistresses um and she started as an orange seller at the theater wow. and i wonder i just wonder if he's like i don't see these orange sellers <laughs> i'm the king they don't come right. sell me an orange <laughs> right. i need to be able to look at them <laughs> put them on stage i'm sick of looking at all these dudes i know right sick of this which i also like in our version uh, the reason women are allowed on stage is because men are pigs i mean <laughs> it's like doesn't exactly empower not really, does it? You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I we'll guess say, it got me to where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so like we said, one of the women to benefit from this new profession was Nell Gwynn, who was Charles II's mistress. She had a lot of influence with him. But before she hooked up with Charles, she, quote, more than likely had a brief fling with John Wilmot, the Earl of Rochester. Uh -oh. Now, after the passion cooled, they remained pretty close friends. Okay. And her influence at court and with Charles really helped Rochester the many, many times he was in disgrace with the king. Oh, good. But it was another actress that John Wilmot's name is linked to the most. And that brings us to this episode's side piece. Yeah, baby, yeah. Elizabeth Barry was an actress, but her first performance at the age of 17 was so terrible that she was immediately fired from the company she was working for. Ouch. Fortunately for her, she met uh, John Wilmot, the Earl of Rochester, in 1673, and he apparently started training her as an actress. Now, there's no details as to why Rochester was qualified to be an acting coach. I mean, right? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, he did have a flair for language, right? Uh -huh. He did have a love for the ladies. Maybe that's all it took. A bit I of know, a drama queen. <laughs> I know some acting coaches now who that's that's pretty much their qualifications. Oh, man. They're like, I love the ladies and I can talk good. And Learn I how to act from me. <laughs> $400, please. No. You got to be careful out there, aspiring actors. True. John Wilmot must have been pretty good at it, though, because... Eventually, Elizabeth became the most famous actress of the Restoration period. Mm. And all this despite the fact that she was not known as a beauty by any means. In fact, one anonymous author wrote in a 1702 book called A Comparison Between the Two Stages that she was, quote, the ugliest woman in the real world, but the finest woman in the world upon the stage. 
And Elizabeth Barry was probably like, anonymous coward, come here and say it to my face. Right. Or she was like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still got paid. Beauty is subjective. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she definitely had something that John Wilmot liked because they were together for five years. Sure. Uh, they even had a daughter together. But as her success grew, John got kind of jealous. Oh, um, probably she just had like a lot more demands on her time. She didn't have as much, you know, she didn't need him as much as wow. she had before. He's like, I'm. I'm making time away from my wife, (laughs) and you can't do the same for your craft? (laughs) I need to spend in your hand. (laughs) Hurry up. She's like, you done vomited in my lap one too many times, pal. I don't know. I I don't know exactly, but that's what they say. Got a little resentful. Yeah, sure, Um, sure. And they eventually broke up. And in his poem, Upon Leaving His Mistress, Rochester famously wrote, quote, With what face can I incline to damn you to be only mine? Live up to thy mighty mind and be the mistress of mankind. Oh, wow. When she retired at 52 in 1710, she was one of the greatest tragic actresses of her time. She had a career that lasted 35 years. And although Rochester is known to have had many affairs through his life, Hers is kind of the only name that we can find. Mm. Otherwise, likely it was like nameless actresses, servants, prostitutes who kind of enjoyed his special skills. His, his routine. His routine. Yeah, his <laughs> regime de vivre. Seven o'clock. Where's my lap? <laughs> Besides all this, Rochester was always busy getting into trouble. He had been banned from court once before in 1669 when he punched a playwright in the ear in front of the king. This was considered a les majest offense. Mm. And it didn't take long for him to get welcomed back, but then he messed up again. Because on Christmas of 1673, Charles asked for a copy of one of his poems. And by accident, Rochester reached into his little bag and he (laughs) handed him the wrong one. It Uh was a pretty biting lampoon of the king himself. Oopsie. This wasn't always a problem because once Rochester read this little witticism, quote, We have a pretty witty king whose word no man relies on. He never said a foolish thing and never did a wise one. Ah, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. But King Charles supposedly kind of chuckled and said back, quote, That's true, for my words are my own, but my actions are those of my ministers. Ah, ah, anybody? Jolly good, good, King Charles. Hot zing. Burned your ministers. (laughs) Roasted. Oh, everyone laugh. (laughs) I'm the king. So, you know, that was was a quick zinger and and Charles took it in stride. Mm -hmm. But this time, maybe Rochester had gone a little too far. Or maybe Charles just couldn't think up a witty response (laughs) quickly. So, yeah, he again banished the Earl of Rochester for months. But what was this poem that made the king so angry? Well, let's go back down to Poetry Corner and hear just a section from In the Isle of Britain. In the Isle of Britain, long since famous grown for breeding the best cunts in Christendom, there reigns, and oh, long may he reign and thrive, the easiest king and best bread man alive. Oh, thank you. Him no ambition moves to get renown. Wait a minute. Like the French fool that wanders up and down. What? Starving his people, hazarding his crown. Excuse me. Peace is his aim, his gentleness is such. Ah, that's better. And love he loves, 
for he loves fucking much. Well, I can't deny it. Nor are his high desires above his strength. His scepter and prick are of a length. Thank you. And she may sway the one that plays with the other. What? And make him little wiser than his brother. My brother? What? How dare you? He also ended the poem with this little couplet. Quote, All monarchs I hate, and the thrones they sit on, from the Hector of France to the Cully of Britain. Oh. Uh, Hector, by the way, means bully, and he's referring to the Sun King. Huh? Cully means cuckold. Ooh. <laughs> so and he's referring to Charles he's there. He's referring to Charles. Yeah. Uh, and the brother is James II, and people were making fun of him because James II had married a commoner, and people were like, what is wrong with you? Oh, wow. But he was also always ogling women. Like, he had no chill, so he would just straight up, like, get a quizzing glass and look down their shirts. Oh. And people said he had bad taste in women. One guy said that his mistresses were given to him by priests as penance. Oh, wow. <laughs> he thought they were so unattractive. I'm like, damn. So they would just talk his shit about James and Charles in the same poem. <laughs> He's like, wow, how dare you compare me to my idiot brother? <laughs> wow. And Rochester just straight up handed him the wrong one. I know. You imagine when he Oops. starts reading it, he's like, oh, shit, that ain't <laughs> no. the one. I thought I gave him the one about, you know, the <laughs> jizzing in that girl's hands. <laughs> I thought he'd love that. I knew Charles would like that one. Yeah. As soon as Charles was like, oh, let me see this little poem you wrote in the Isle of Britain. And Charles, Ugh. oh, no, no, stop. <laughs> Actually, uh, sir, if I may. <laughs> no, 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 let me finish. I like it. <laughs> So far, you said I had a big dick. I love this poem so far. <laughs> wow. Whoopsie. Well, Rochester was in disgrace for a while after this, but it wasn't too long before Charles welcomed him back to court again and even appointed him the Ranger of Woodbury Park. Ooh. But of course, it was not going to be the last time this guy got into trouble. We'll hear more about that right after this. Welcome back, everyone. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So by February of 1674, John Wilmot, the Earl of Rochester, was besties with King Charles II again, and he managed to hold his position until June of 1675, when he and some of the merry gang were drunk, as usual, and they were out in the palace gardens. There was this sundial in the gardens. It was considered one of the finest and rarest, most, most beautiful sundials in all of England, and it was decorated with a painting of King Charles holding his scepter, which John had so kindly compared to his dick in that poem. <laughs> And it is a little phallic. Sure. I mean, you know, the, the, the angle and stuff, you know. Yeah. He's like holding it down by oh, his yeah. hips. But it's like pointing it's up. Sticking straight out. You yeah. He's like pointing at it like, eh, lady. Like, well, Rochester was totally wasted. And he took one look at this sundial and he said, quote, what? Dost thou stand there to fuck time? <laughs> <laughs> and then he runs up and he starts wailing on this sundial <laughs> until it fell over. <laughs> now. He takes one look at what he has done. He's uh -huh. like, oh, I've, I'm not exactly a master of myself <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks, oh, my God, Charles is going to hear about this. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to get banished from court again. Let me save you the trouble. And he just ran off on his own. <laughs> <laughs> However, just like every other time, he was welcomed back to court Man, eventually. Charles loved this guy. He really did. Samuel <laughs> Pepys, the diary guy, uh -huh. he was like, all serious men just hate how much he's willing to forgive this guy. Sure. He should really just get rid of him. So John's fine. He's in, in with the king again until 1676. Oh, this is basically like an annual thing right. now. He's like, oh, it's been a year. I guess I better get banished <laughs> again. Uh, so he and some friends... Merry gang guys, probably they're out late at night, drunk as hell, as per usual. And they started a fight with the Night Watch. Oh, no. Now, scuffles with the cops were not an uncommon pastime for young aristocrats. Okay. Because, you know, the cops can't really do anything. To oh, them. yeah. Do you know who my daddy is? He's like, daddy, come get me. I'm friends with King Charles. Do you wish? Yeah, and usually, you know, the worst thing that would happen is they would kind of spend the night in the drunk tank sure. until someone came along and bailed them out. Right. But this time, one of Rochester's friends, Roger Downs, was killed by a pipe oh. thrust from one of the watchmen oh. during this fight. And instead of staying by his friend and kind of like owning up to his drunken behavior that had started the fight in the first place, Rochester fled the scene. Mm. The king considered this to be super cowardly. Totally unacceptable. No man of honor, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And Rochester was again banished from the court. Damn. Well, this time he fled to Tower Hill, which is a poor neighborhood in London near the Tower Prison. And he disguised himself as a respectable OBGYN <laughs> named Dr. Bendo. <laughs> Just so great. I guess it's Dr. Uh, Bendo. Just called me Dr. Bendo. He was supposed to be Italian, if that helps. Oh. <laughs> he was Italian. Is an Italian. I'm Dr. Dr. Bendo. Bendo. Why don't you <laughs> bend over? And the will see what's going on down there. The Dr. Bendo would treat women who were dealing with infertility. Now, John Wilmot, second Earl of Rochester, acting coach extraordinaire. A right. drunken debauch. Honorary master's degree yes. from the party school. None of this allowed him to know a single thing about <laughs> medical stuff. <laughs> He's not a doctor. But one thing he did know was how to get a lady pregnant. 
And the historian Gilbert Burnett notes that his treatments were, quote, not without success, uh. implying that some of the women did get pregnant, just not by their husbands. Ah. Yikes, the treatments were very crazy. <laughs> now, if these husbands were particularly suspicious or jealous of Dr. Bendo treating their wives, Rochester simply went into the back and changed out his disguise into Mrs. Bendo, an old matronly <laughs> woman. I'm just an old Italian woman, Mrs. Bendo. <laughs> Nothing to worry about here. Uh, suddenly, all these husbands were just totally fine with Mrs. Bendo looking up their wives' skirts. Hmm. No word on if Mrs. Bendo was as successful as Dr. Bendo in getting these wives <laughs> pregnant, but surely Rochester gave it the old... Wadham College try. Well, I'm sure once they were alone, he was like, now, you know, he's taking the wig off or whatever he's wearing. Uh -huh. And he's like, now I could get you pregnant. I I'm a hot younger man. <laughs> this is the most uh, modern. This is the newest in modern medicine. <laughs> it's where I fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, it works most of the time. Then in 1679, one of Rochester's main rivals was... England's very first poet laureate, whose name was John Dryden, and he wrote a poem called An Essay on Satire, which contained pointed attacks on Rochester as a notorious womanizer. Ah. So it kind of pissed him off. And in December of that year, Dryden was leaving a popular coffee house that was frequented by all the wits of the day. And he was set upon by a bunch of dudes with cudgels who beat him up pretty badly. Oh. Now, Dryden offered a reward of 50 pounds, which is worth something like 8,000 pounds today, uh, which is about $9,500. Wow. So nearly 10 grand uh, reward just for information about why this happened and who did it and stuff. Jeez. But no one ever came forward. And some say Rochester is the guy who hired these street thugs to beat him up as a response to this unflattering verse about him. Wow. But I have to say, I'm not, I'm not sure that I, at least in what we have learned about him, I don't see it myself. Do you? Yeah, uh, It doesn't seem like his style. Right, because he's so busy, you know, roasting other people. Yeah. Surely he, I don't know, maybe he was really bad at taking it, but he was real good at dishing it out. Well, he just seemed like the kind of guy who's like, I'm just going to get go drunk and punch you in the nose myself. Exactly. Yeah. Why would I hire someone? Yeah. That's just my opinion. I don't think that he did it personally. But some say that he was just too sick by that time to be arranging a beatdown on anyone. Yeah, because by the time he was 33 years old, the Earl of Rochester was dying. Now, either he was afflicted with gonorrhea and or syphilis uh, and or he had the ill effects of alcoholism and or he might have had kidney disease. Sources don't agree. <laughs> Uh, they, but they all sound right. They all sound believable. <laughs> totally believable. The guy did not treat himself well, and his health was failing at a young age. Yeah. His mother, Anne, who was a Puritan, but always, for some reason, encouraged her son's excesses. Like, if you remember, she also helped him plot to kidnap that heiress back when he was 17. Right. She decided to take matters into her, she decided to take matters into her own hands, and she had Gilbert Burnett come through to John's deathbed. Gilbert was a good Protestant minister, and Anne hoped that he would save her son's soul in his 11th hour here. But according to Gilbert himself, Rochester did have a last-minute change of heart. He renounced his atheism and his debaucherous ways, and he requested to convert to Anglicism. But a lot of scholars are kind of skeptical about this, because the only account that exists of 
John converting and all this stuff is in Gilbert Burnett's own writings. And Gilbert was later able to come out and say, I converted, you know, the Restoration's greatest libertine on his deathbed. And that really enhanced his reputation. He later became the Bishop of Salisbury. So there's a lot of reason to think that Gilbert might have just kind of made this up. Who's going to mm-hmm. call him on it? You know, Right. And the guy's dead. Yeah. So yeah. You can't check my work. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we don't really know if <laughs> Rochester did, you know, convert and renounce all his ways at the last minute there. Right. Which, you know, it's interesting to think about because he definitely lived his life like, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in, you know, any of this stuff. Right. And he was very much like, I don't know, nothing was sacred to him, I guess is yeah. a good way to put it. But, you know, they had a very serious belief in hell. Like they truly are like, I can feel the flames of hell, you know, licking around my heart. <laughs> like they really had a visceral image of what that was. Right. So it, it is kind of believable that when right faced with death and faced with what you think might be coming next, you would be like, OK, fine. Yeah. Just in case. Let me hedge my bets. Right. Right. You and know? I mean, even today, there's a lot of people who, mm-hmm. you know, have a have a you know, nasty personality during their life or something, or they're right. very greedy or, you know, they, they spurn a lot of people. And in, in their final days, they might be like, oh, my God, what have I done? I I, I regret, every, you know, these th- certain things about my life I wish I'd done differently. Yeah, that's not true. uncommon. Well, John Wilmot, the second Earl of Rochester, died on July 26th, 1680. Mm. And tragically, Elizabeth Mallet, Lady Wilmot, died only a year later. Oh, wow. And shortly after her, their only son, Charles, died as well. Wow. So the Earl of Rochester title went extinct after only two generations. Now, John Wilmot never really collected his poetry together for publication. Uh, I don't think he ever had plans to publish it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his writing is lost. Um, his most famous poem remains A Satyr Against Reason and Mankind. Yeah, sure. Where he railed against like valuing reason and rationality above everything else. Right. Um, but after his death, that was exactly what people did value. Uh, during the prim Victorian era, respect for his writing declined even more. Uh, writer Horace Walpole said he was, quote, a man whom the muses were fond to inspire but ashamed to avow. Wow. And apparently, like a lot of his books, if they were available at all, they were wrapped in brown paper and, and they were put in the topmost shelf. So Jeez. you had to like be willing to ask for it and like embarrass yourself. It's like buying a sex toy or something. <laughs> <laughs> but critic William Hazlitt said, quote, his verses cut and sparkle like diamonds. His epigrams were the bitterest the least labored and the truest that were ever written. His contempt for everything that others respect almost amounts to sublimity. Still, all the buttoned-up Victorians were not interested in erotic poetry. So it wasn't until the 1920s that John Wilmot's writing enjoyed a little renaissance thanks to people like Ezra Pound. Oh, wow. And, of course, the 20s. We we, we know a lot about the 20s. They were very right. freewheeling about sexuality and stuff. So oh, they probably yeah. definitely were like, oh, hell yes. Uh, this is my manual. I'm waking up at 11. I'm getting drunk by 7. <laughs> Let me send for my whore. Uh-huh. See you in her lap. <laughs> Now, for modern readers, Rochester stands alone mainly because he didn't bother to couch his poems in a bunch of metaphors. Uh, Austin Saunders writes in The Spectator, quote, his poems make perfectly clear what he's talking about. And he's always more than happy to call a dildo a dildo (laughs) or at least senor dildo. (laughs) Saunders goes on, quote, in every case, the explicitness of Rochester's poems creates a sense that he is talking honestly to us. 
Their conspicuous refusal to use euphemism or to avoid subject matter generally recognized as obscene implies an unwillingness to abide by convention or to repress instinct. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's pointing out, like, John Donne wrote about oral sex and, you right. know, Chaucer. He wrote a lot of body uh-huh, stuff, too. But it took nine thesauruses and three different <laughs> language dictionaries to find out what they were talking about. Exactly. <laughs> they found a lot of ways to, quote, you know, beat Hide around it. the bush, yeah. per se. Right, yeah. They wouldn't even say beat around the bush. Probably not. Whereas John Wilmot was like, let's talk about bush. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to. Let me tell you about that bush I was beating around last night. <laughs> he actually did in, uh, I think it was a play that he wrote. He wrote the line. My prick no more to bald cunt shall resort. Merkins rub off and often spoil the sport. <laughs> wow, he's, he wants all natural. He wants a bush. Wow. He, like, he, does, he wants to beat around the bush. Man, <laughs> I want a bush to beat around. That's right. Well, in 2004, they did make a movie about this guy's life starring another controversial fellow, Johnny Depp. And this was called The Libertine. Mm-hmm. Based on a play by the same name. Mm. We were able to share some of his poems with you here today. Uh, delightful, I, I think. <sighs> Too funny. But there are more that we really want to get into, like an imperfect enjoyment, which is another just raunchy, <laughs> hilarious piece. It's about premature ejaculation. <laughs> so come back for our next episode and we will uh, spew those poems in your laps. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just make sure you don't bring the kids along because, again, this guy, I mean, if you haven't noticed already... This guy's mm-hmm. not exactly a, a right. PG author. Or do if you want them to get interested in poetry. That's true. Because <laughs> if could, I had heard these when I was a kid. In. <laughs> right? If we'd read this in high school, I'd probably be a poet right now. I'm saying. Like, I'm like, we, I remember reading John Donne in one of my English classes. Uh-huh. And we had to have so many conversations about his metaphor and all the, I don't know, the ways he kind of obscured his meaning and talked about, you know, something in the Bible, which what he really meant was this political thing that was going on at the time and blah, blah, blah. He had to really, like, get into so much history to understand what he was writing. Yeah. And I'm like, why didn't we start with the oral sex one? I'm telling you, you would have my attention the entire semester if we just started there. (laughs) Maybe that's just me, but I feel like people say that about language classes, like, teach me the curse words on the first day, and then I'm yours for the rest of the time. I have no complaints. (laughs) Y'all, if we could do it all over. (laughs) Well, anyway, I hope y'all love this episode about John Wilmot, because it was really fun to learn about him. Hilarious. Thank you all for tuning in for this. I hope you had fun, too. Thanks again to Barbara for telling us to do his uh, life as a store as an episode Absolutely. himself because I wasn't going to, but yeah. I'm glad I, I looked into him because yeah. that shit is hilarious. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Please let us know what you thought. Uh, yeah. Tell us any suggestions you have because obviously they lead us down some great paths. That's right. Uh, reach out to us at ridicromance at gmail.com. Right. Or we're on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. And the show is at Ridic Romance. And don't forget to follow us along, catch some videos on TikTok where we're at Ridiculous Romance. That's right. And uh, make sure you go see RRR as soon as you can. Oh, my (laughs) God. never stop talking about that movie. We are not steering you wrong, guys. (laughs) Yes. It's so good. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. We will catch you at the next one. Love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This 
is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rival, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.